The information on this podcast is not intended or implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All information contained on or related to this podcast is for general information purposes only. Okay, everybody, welcome back to our podcast. Lisa and I are here with two great um, guests today. We have Dr. Dean Tripp, who is an investigator of the Imagine Network and a professor at Queen's University. We have also uh, Kimberly Daly. She's a patient research partner for the Imagine Network. So we're really gonna focus, yes, thank thank you. you. So today we're really focusing on mental health. Hi everybody, I'm Lisa. And I'm Chantel, and this is Gut and Glory. So Dr. Tripp, Imagine is conducting a number of mental health studies in IBD patients. Can you tell us about some of those studies that are occurring? Yeah, well, we're, we've been lucky enough to be involved in a couple of uh, really cool projects. Going back to a project we just finished, just finished the data collection on recently, we looked at kind of the uh, gap between what patients are suggesting they need in terms of psychological treatments slash therapies right. and what's being delivered. And we went out and we kind of developed from scratch, you know, talking to some patients about different features of their illness that impacted them hard. Uh, And we came up with a bunch of variables like shame, body image issues, stigma, stigma, some of those issues. And and then looked at kind of the thought processes around uh, getting upset, stressed, or depressed. And we put together a, a group therapy and we just tested it. And I just recently got the data, which shows Ooh. success uh, in helping patients. And it's a smaller N than we would have liked, N meaning number of people in the right. study. Um, it's a smaller N than we would have liked. So it's kind of, uh, I'm cautiously optimistic that it's uh, real cool. I'm uh, not, that I think it, it's that great. It works. <laughs> <Yeah. Yeah. laughs> and it works. And we did have successful reductions through the program uh, in patients on things like um, their anxious thoughts of their pain signals. Right. And we, you know, there's a term for that called catastrophizing when you get really anxious about, mm. you know, kind of what your pain means and what you think it might mean for oh your gosh, future. That, right. When that right. happens to me, I get worse. Yeah. 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 I just get worse. Well, well, the ca- it's, a it's a cycle. cycle. Yeah. The you catastrophizing, I, I say, is kind of like the what if train. You know, yeah. so you start thinking, I have this pain. Well, what if that means something worse? Right. What if I can't go out tonight? What if I'm, you know, I have, I have to be hospitalized. What is, yeah. does this mean that I need a surgery? Does this, here I go again. Right. So then it, it's this kind of what if train because cognitively you start to think about the worst case scenarios uh-huh. or at least they haunt you. And right. then you just, you, you can't get off that elevation of anxiety and yeah. it just really becomes overwhelming for some people. Oh, Dr. Dean, could you just follow me around? In my, <laughs> this is like catastrophizing Absolutely. is something that Absolutely. I think we do uh, sometimes as survival, not not just in the in the chronic illness world, but I think, mm-hmm. you know, as survival instincts, we catastrophize yeah. so that we can flag problems that are yeah. coming up, yeah. right? Yeah. So that, that help us uh, prepare for the worst. Yeah. In my mind, we, we call it rehearsing for tragedy yeah. in my world. Um, yeah. But like, um, Did, so the patient, are you finding are you finding that people when they patients when they uh, start catastrophizing, 
make themselves sicker? Like That's a great question. There's two things I'd like to add about catastrophes. Number one thing, in my research over the last 25 years, if we've shown nothing across yeah. a variety of pain conditions, and looking at just, let's say, student athlete populations that we've looked at for this variable as well, oh, in reference to pain, is that it's normal. Absolutely. So let's remember that it's- You're not you know, alone. You're not alone. No. It's a normal behavior. When you start to get worried, and that's what it is, it's just a worry about what pain might bring, right? Uh, that is a natural escalation. And we have a tendency to catastrophize it even if we don't have pain. Uh, yeah, exactly. Even if we don't have a, a, an illness. Mm -hmm. we, yeah. You know, I know lots of people in my life. Uh, or who have positive mental health. We still. Absolutely. If you have money issues, but you've been the cycle anything. of this is So it's a natural phenomenon. And I want to make that clear to people that it's a natural phenomenon. But if you put it in the context of an illness, if you put it in the context of a trauma, if you put it in the context of, let's say, uh, continuing uh, exposure and battles with pain and what you know, your symptoms do to your life, mm -hmm. then you can see how it becomes Absolutely. a train that's hard to get off of right. sometimes. So the patients that were in this particular study, mm -hmm. um, the professionals that were working with them, do they have specific background in understanding IBD and what those patients were going through? Well, what we did, which I'm, I'm really proud in the study, uh, is we took, um, how can I say, a treatment manual approach. So okay. we basically wrote a book on how to kind of deliver this uh, program. To, to IBD specific patients. patients. Yes. Right. So focused, like when I said, those issues of shame and some of those other issues we thought were pertinent. Mm -hmm. So uh, we have this manual on how to conduct it. So although it was conducted with psychology uh, people engaged with the therapy delivery, I want to put it where it's deliverable by anybody who has the training uh, basic understanding of the disease and some mental training work. So it could be delivered by nurses. It could be delivered by in hospital. Right. Um, I think I, we want to try to, you know, give it away. So we're going to try to kind of do that. Might as well spread it. Well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's why we did it, right? Right. So we want to we want to get it out there. So uh, the results again, we showed that we reduced catastrophizing over the the period that patients were engaged. Using the strategies that we Using the strategies, the, strategies, okay. the oh, modules so that we had them curious. to do. I know, even yeah. though he says it was a small amount, I, it doesn't matter. Oh, just take <laughs> it. Like, yeah, no, it's it's, it's cool. Like, I'm, I'm so excited. It's like, it's a real good signal. So we're happy and we're going to push forward on it. Our first job is to get the results out. Like I said, they're very fresh, literally. Now, when those like results get week. out. In the last mean, week. Yeah. When you mean get out, does it, does it mean just getting them out to the professionals? Or is there somewhere that patients can go and see these results? as well. Absolutely. We're going to do, I'm going to post some stuff up on Twitter. We're going to use the Imagine. Your Twitter is social media. Dr. Dean Tripp? Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to do that. I'll, I'll put it up on Insta if I can grab a nice couple of pieces and do that. Right. But I'm going to try to do our usual knowledge translation stuff, but expand it because I want to use, that's why I'm so happy to be involved with your podcast because I want to use as many avenues as I can uh -huh. to talk about this. So, so you've got Twitter because yep. we want people, we're, you're going to have followers. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> so we have Dr. Dean Tripp on Twitter yep. and on Instagram, are you under the same handle as well? Um, honestly, I can't remember, but if you, if you <laughs> look okay. at Dean Trip, it's, you, I think it should come up. Know. We'll Trip, find it. By the way, Trip is P-R-I-double-P. That's correct. Yeah, don't yeah. forget, double P. You might be following a Dean Trip that we don't know anything yeah. about. Yeah. Um, but we'll get <laughs> that information from you as well, because on our Facebook page, we'll, yeah. we'll be sharing and posting yeah. that information. Well, definitely we want to get the word out, because it, it's exciting, and we want to get it out so that the next stage of this development can happen. 
So which is getting people to be implementing. Yes. Right? So like how you know I need to talk to the people at the meeting today, and I need to talk to the uh, uh, different groups and say you know this works. Right. So we have good signals here. Let's not just put it on a shelf. So why don't we do something about it? Why right. don't we look at our clinics starting in Kingston? Um, you know, in terms of implementing these strategies. Now, so, I just have to, I, I'm curious because do, do you feel like there's a greater implication for your work outside of IBD? Uh, I think that all the work I've done in the last 20 or so years is now found a new purpose and it's called IBD. Wow. So I think it's different. I think we what all I've love done, Dr. Dean Tripp. Well, <laughs> it's fascinating because it, 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 I mean, it, it seems like the component that you're speaking to, the mm -hmm. mental health component, is so, it's vast, it's right? And it goes so far yeah. beyond yeah. disease management yeah. and totally. chronic disease. So, well, I, I come from a, from a funny place. I mean, I teach at the university, I, I introduced the first positive psychology course there. I teach health psychology for the last 19 years. And I've taught a variety of different courses that have really structured the way I've looked at health and looked at right. positivity and looked at, you know, the abnormal side of psychology. It's your own exposure that's formulating. I, I think it's what it is. And, yeah. you know, I've been lucky enough to work with some really smart people um, that have helped help me see different things, some really keen patients that really have provided insight to over the years to the issues that you guys have talked about already mm -hmm. today. Right. And I just think that that work has, as I've, you know, because I'm new to the Imagine Network, um, as I stumble in here and try to, you know, kind of find my find way, bearings, yeah. uh, I think that uh, it's it's the opportunity, it just lines up. Like, it's just, it kind of like it's lined natural. up. Yeah. So natural. I think that the work I've done fits well here, but I yeah. think you're quite quite but, observant that it's a it's a phenomenon mm -hmm. that exists outside of right. you know of and the, the brain gut connection you obviously oh. are clearly seeing that oh yeah 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 right. i mean you know i've seen this years and years before i even understood the acronym ibd met right. i mean you know i've had relatives who would get you know, stressed out and have diarrhea. I've seen, you know, different people. Well, I just think that, about, you know, some women, you, you know, know, I think of women in the, in the, the rom-coms, you know, they have a breakup and they either don't eat or they just sit and binge eat. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's, it's an, it's like an instant reaction. When I'm stressed, I don't eat. But, you know, when my husband is stressed, he just eats and eats and eats. Yeah, <laughs> and potato I, chips. Yeah, and I'm like, you have the to odd stop. beer. Not just, not just that though, but like, I mean, we've talked about this endlessly. Like, you yeah. know, making a life decision, mm. a huge life decision, and then you start having all these physical side effects from absolutely that manifest. Yeah. And I have, I mean, that's how my Crohn's has manifested in my adult life. I had mm. most of my uh, problems as a child. But that, I, I think of my disease now as my compass. It tells me when I'm doing something yeah. I don't want to do. That's, that's how I know. Because I, I start to have like, oh, yeah, it's painful. Or my, you know, my trips to the bathroom increase or whatever. It I like that. I'm going to use that. <laughs> it really. <laughs> it, I am. It's, that's I, really I am. Um, quick side note. Moved to the United States, thought I was following my dream, but I was in pain the whole time I was there, made the decision to come back home. Right. And then it's like, why am I going home? I'm well. Right. But it was because I was coming back to Canada. Right. Yeah. Right. So it, I, I would be, I'd be lying if I said that my IBD has not dictated a lot of the yeah, decisions it does. and paths I've taken in life. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but I've mentioned before, and I don't know, Kim, if you would express the same, but I feel 
I don't, I would not change where I am now. If I could go back 13 years and not be diagnosed with IBD, um, in my comfort and in my knowledge that I know now, I don't, I would have not, I would, I would say no. Like, I'm meant to be on this path as difficult it has, as it's been in my life, but this is where I'm supposed to be. You know, so um, I get that. I get how things are aligning naturally. Are there other studies that are going on mm -hmm. surrounding mental health that you can mm -hmm. tell us about? Lots. And, and, but the other thing, too, I just want to comment quickly is uh, that concept you just brought up, brought up, both of you, about kind of growth, I think is really important. Yeah. And, you know, there's a term for that kind of experience roughly used. It's called post-traumatic growth. So that, you know, through illness, I talk to a lot of people about seeing past it mm -hmm. and right. seeing you know but it takes time like yeah, when you're like underwater when you're underwater someone yeah. can't tell you to breathe deeply right so yes, the concept right. is let me get my head a little bit above the water and now i can start maybe to think about breathing deeply right. so i talk about post-traumatic growth as a natural process that you people i, I say like shoot for that yeah, shoot for yeah. that because yeah. you know trauma we're all having trauma in our life whether it's physically induced or psychologically induced and there is something about being able to kind of step above that. And it takes practice and it takes hard work. But I think that's what you're commenting and on. And with the help of professionals. I agree. And, and can get there. And peer support. I think Absolutely. that's another yeah. important, like you yeah. guys, your document here. So you mentioned other research. We have another brand new study that just came out that looked at uh, the, what I call a pathway to uh, through depression and hopelessness and into suicide risk. Right. And Specifically that, in IBD. In IBD, exactly. Right. And, you know, one of the things we wanted to do with this study is we wanted to kind of put down some of the markers based on the theory and the current and the current theory that's associating these horrible events with each other. So that's not been done before in IBD, but we've, we've done it. Uh, we had a, a bunch of people online that were very keen to kind of help us out. So we had we, we just went through. Again, new data. So parents, patients out. sharing their thoughts around yes. quite like suicide and depression. This is heavy. Heavy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I said, you know, today I, I tweeted out at the meeting. I just said, you know, um, I put a title up on my computer and I was just kind of looking at that before the meeting started. And I said, you know, we're asking the tough questions. Yeah. You know, and we want to get answers. You don't want somebody to we ask wanna you, get the answers. but you have to ask We got, we got to get the answers yeah. because we need to help. These feel like the, um, the questions that come at that point of your um, meeting with your, G your mm -hmm. uh, colonos a colonoscopy your, specialist yeah. who, or uh, your GI, your your GI specialist, colonoscopy specialist. Bring a brain fog, IBD yeah, brain fog. Brain fog. Um, yeah, brain mm fog. -hmm. They feel like the little questions that come at the end, like how's your mental state? And you just right. sort of want to skim over that, get out you, because- You breathe in quickly. <laughs> you <laughs> feel like, uh, a, no, I, 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 tell me if this is what it's like for you, Kim, you, you feel like, a case study sitting in a chair, yeah. colon, sitting in a chair, and the idea of being vulnerable about around that with a scientist. Well, IBD patients are vulnerable in the first place. Like the stigma associated to the colon and poop and just everything that comes with that. And then the stigma that is still present with mental health. Yeah. Like it's it's a double negative. Well, I you're feel, you're presenting you know? a strong your strongest self yeah. there in the chair. Yeah. talking about your disease yeah. in front of your healthcare professional. You're really putting yourself out there. You're super yeah. putting yourself out there. So to be asked, do you That's think scary, about... That's scary, man. Absolutely. Do you think That's... about dark... Do you have dark thoughts? Do you think about... 
Right. Ah, I don't want to talk about that. You know? So those patients that so were involved in this most recent study, like they were quite forthcoming with the information. Yep. Obviously. And you know what we were able to figure out is kind of a pathway, and this pathway that we, you know, sort of hypothesized or thought listening to people starts at about when IBC, IBD symptoms get bad. Right. So like a you, first flare. Oh yeah, like right. yeah. So, and then we th we looked at a couple variables of shame and pain as you know being promoted from that experience that okay. biological experience and those two you know those factors then those three factors sort of combine to increase the likelihood that you're going to see depressive depression or depressed depressive thinking start right so that kind of you know that was laid out pretty clearly for us in and that's discussions where the interception needs to come in that's well like, it can happen the, anywhere right but right. hold on watch this so from <laughs> from depression then where do we go this is the the new part that's what happens novel next? what happens next right so we look at factors like hopelessness mm. because depression and hopelessness are different factors and depression uh, tends to kind of lead and it's kind of circular but hopelessness can follow next and then there was two new factors we looked at that haven't been looked at before in IBD and one's called psych ache and this psych ache is basically painful it's such an emotional painful experience you only want pain to stop in your head so it's just at like at any the, cost the, the, it, at Unfortunately, uh, sometimes and this is perhaps where bad suicide costs. gets psych ache. Psych ache. It's a, it's a kind of a, a something people don't talk about much in the in the regular literature, but it's this experience that you just want it to end. It's so painful. Is that fed up? Like I, I can't do this it, anymore. It's beyond that. It's right. like it's painful. It's not fed up. Like I'm frustrated and I'm finished. No, it's a physical manifestation. It's, like it's, I can't be back here again. It's just I don't even think there's a language for it. The patients that I've talked to express it as a kind of a, a pain, a psychological pain that just overwhelms me. And, I, and it's at some point- I see point, nothing else I, other than an end. Zero vision. Right. And then there's another feature that comes out of that hopelessness as well. So that's one important new feature that we've talked about. And there's another one that patients have described in their self-report uh, to us is this perceived burden that they feel like they are to other people. Yes, so they lose these, net, oh, they lose those yes. networks. They start to feel, then comes the what if train. And yeah, it's like, yeah. so you look at this psychic and you look at this kind of burden that you feel that you're on other people. And those are new, I would say new in terms of the literature, promoters of this risk for suicidality. And that's what we looked at. We looked at the risk of it. We didn't look at whether people are, you know, committing suicide or they have attempts, but it's this risk. The symptoms, are they exhibiting these symptoms? Yes, are they? Right. And this risk measure we use also uh, is comparable to kind of, uh, it has some norm data. So we're able to, able to say that if you fill out this questionnaire on risk, we have about over 40% of the patients who've completed this, over 40%, just barely over 40%, but over 40% of the patients are at risk. Wow. They present at risk. and. About 30%, approximately 31% of the patients are at risk at a level reported by adult inpatient psychiatry data. Wow. That's what I, I say. So like are what? you saying that the of the 40%, 30% mm -hmm. uh, of those or an additional? Yeah, yeah no, no. Oh, it's 30%. like 40 and then we crawl back and then put them at another level. So 30% of the entire sample. So 40% wow. of 40% of those patients are identified as 
having at-risk at factors. On that risk measure, they're like, right. this is troubling, this is clinically important, we so need to look at is this it. And 30% this... are even closer to it. So if you just erase the 40 and then say, so if we go back to the original group, 30% right. are at this level. Right. So okay. some of those, the 30 basically comes out of the 40, but, but I feel think like of it, those numbers are still massive. That needs they to really inform, you know, I said on previous, my diagnosis was written for me on a piece of paper, mm. um, the same size as my prescription. Mm. And I was sent to Shoppers Drug Mart to like, get my prescription. And that's all I knew. And I thought, I'm really sick. If I take these pills for three months and these enemas as far as for three months, I'll feel better. I got to go back and see him to make sure. It wasn't explained to me that this is a chronic illness. It wasn't explained to me, you know, what it even means, what, the, what this means. And I quite often, I lived in the dark for quite a few years. Um, when I discovered it was chronic, I kind of just, I, I, I knew what that word meant and that's where I, I put my blinders up and I said, that's enough. I don't need to know anymore. Um, you know, I'm going to get through this. I'm going to be the percent of the population to be okay. Um, I feel like this is the information that needs to inform, like when a diagnosis is given to somebody with a chronic illness, with IBD, you need to attach some, you need to attach a mental health practitioner to these referrals. Give me my prescription for my meds. Give me a referral to see somebody about my mental health, even if I feel like I'm fine. Mm -hmm. Because there will be a moment in my life, maybe many moments in my life, where I'm not going to be fine. And I need someone to tell me that because I didn't know that then. I know it now, and I am, I am not too proud to admit that I have my own mental health issues, my yeah. own you know, my struggles with depression and anxiety disorder and things like that. Um, but it was a long road for me to get to where I am comfortable now to go and see my mental health practitioners as easily as I see my GI. Absolutely. And, you know, the information that you shared in just those two studies, like, it screams to me that policy needs to change. Like, we need to, when people are diagnosed, this they should oh, be yeah. given resources. Yeah, or at least the choice and the knowledge that these resources may be helpful for you. Mm -hmm. And when you're ready, they're here for you. Mm -hmm. I'm, can, you know? I'm uh, wondering, like, in your opinion, mm -hmm. would a um, psychologist or someone who was paired with a patient, would they require specific knowledge, kind of and, knowledge and training to be able to, to deal with someone who's... Uh, well, we're hoping eventually disease. this literature is going to help everybody. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but until we get there. Well, I think I think that's a good point. Um, you know, you you want to have someone who has training in understanding health, mm -hmm. right? And I think as a precursor, uh, a lot chronic of chronic illness in general. Yeah, right. like I mean, I think because that background's really important. Uh, most psychologists uh, have an option to be trained in with health sort of specified as a, a category that they are uh, expert in. And I think that's the basic, that's the basic place. Um, the interventions and the knowledge and the stuff that we're talking about today, uh, that, that can fall in the realm of a variety of providers. Right. Psychologists, I think, are at a unique position to provide what I would call management and intervention as needed skills. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of this work, that the work you're talking about and information, and also, like I said, the delivery of that program that we we're working mm -hmm. on now, 
can be done by people who are not psychologists. So there's BA level trained people, a Bachelor of Arts. Yeah, like our IVD nurses. Yeah. Exactly. Who are there with us in the trenches. Amazing. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that there, there needs to be a reckoning on, you know, we're not saying, okay, we need, you know, X amount of people trained at this level to roll in here and mobilize. I think we need to look at it as um, how do we get people in here who can do this phase? So if I had my dream, it would be phased. Right. So I agree, patients come to clinic uh, one way or another, and here is a information group. I want you to attend it. Right. In the information group, it's like this happens to some people. This is a path. This right. is what else. So there's positive indicators. There's sort of a prognosis of uh, or a story or a history of how things may unfold. Uh, and, you know, some watch signs. And then if you feel any of these are important to you, let you us go. know. Yeah. Yeah. So then you, if that's the case, then you could opt in to the treatment group. Right. You could opt in to a life choice. skills group. Absolutely. Like, why don't you call it a life skills group? Yeah. Just learning how to manage, yeah. you know, <laughs> this what if yeah. crap that's going on yeah. in your head, right? Yeah. yeah. So I think that that's where I'd like to see it go, that you have these what if groups and you have these simple things, simple ways of addressing complicated starts. Because as you suggested, if these starts um, lead to problems, if you're the type of person who comes in with a coping strategy of, I can manage this, and, and when it gets a little tough, you go, oh gosh, I'm gonna yeah. do this kind of strategy where I'm gonna not put my head in the sand, but I, I can't absorb all this. It's mm -hmm. too much it's too for me much. at the moment. Overload. And it's completely normal under right. acute stress periods for people to just focus on one thing and kind of walk towards that. Yeah, right. So you might miss stuff in your life. Yeah. And part of that could be useful information that you're not ready for or you don't hear, and that makes sense. But if we give people options, yeah. and I think that's what we're talking about. It opens about, up doors. Structure some that options. Comfortable to take because they see that these options are here, which normalizes what they're going and through. presented in a normal fashion. That's right, like as it's part, part of your of care. Your care. Yeah. yeah, I agree. It's, you're not alone in having to reach out because the I first agree. time you may be having the reaction, you, you might be having a terrible day and unable to take things in. And I know that that, that happened to me for sure when I was catastrophizing or mm -hmm. when I was getting that psych ache where it was just too much and I didn't want to think about it anymore. That's right. I wanted to get away from all people who were talking about it to just go yeah. Yeah. and be clear. Yeah. But then I would dive back in when I was ready, yes. you know? Right. And so to know that that, that care is not just offered one time at your initial, yeah. Yeah. but it's there, it's part of your yeah. toolkit. It's ongoing. Because the, key, ongoing is, is the key is that no two people cope identically, uh -huh. right? No, not at all. It's like when you think of trauma or, or negative experiences, if you look at the literature even on death and dying, um, you know, we don't say, here's the way you cope with this loss. That's right. We don't do that anymore. Everybody we used to. goes through their stages at their own We pace. used to think that yeah. these stages yeah. were like, you know, you go to this stage and that stage and this stage, but science has just turned that on its head and said it doesn't everywhere. happen that way. <laughs> yeah. So it, it depends on who you are as a human being, yeah. what you've been raised with, how you've learned to cope with your life, what distress you've had previously, you know, because yeah. that, that can preload you. What you're dealing with right now. And then what you're addition. dealing with right now. Yeah. And, the, yeah. and I think that in addition to this background, because, mm -hmm. you know, we're not... You know, we're, we're not naive when we come into our 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds years or when we come into our young ad adulthood. We're shaped already. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So that has something to do with it. So I think we have to be mindful of that. So that's why I'm suggesting sort of like a, not a triaged 
I think that's a hard word, but some kind of smorgasbord of options that could be as simple as, I'm gonna to talk to this nurse, I now have this diagnosis, I'm gonna to talk to this person, start. And giving this knowledge and or training, however you want to look at it, to IBD nurses and to doctors and to people who are on the ground in eMERGE hitting us when we come in, yep. if they have that background knowledge, at least they have a strategy and a tool mm -hmm. to address us when we get there, rather than just addressing us with our physical acute issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you I know? think that's coming. I, I, I'm, I'm optimistic as a fault. And I think that, you know, being... I like that. Well, being involved with this group, I mean, yeah. you know, I, it's such a positive vibe. Like, I really think that we're going to see some major translation of some of the science to practice over the next, you know, five oh, years of this run. I, it has to be. Yeah, like I agree. it just has to be. It doesn't make we're sense for it not it to be. We're ignoring it. It's silly. I don't think. I don't think we're ignoring it. I oh, think we, we have to embrace it more. Yeah, I think absolutely. we have to because it's there, and I think we know it's there. I think we just have to kind of push it to the forefront. Yeah. That's right. So that's just, that's different than kind of ignoring it in my opinion. It's very, uh, I, I mean, it's really empowering for me because I, I, I mean, I was telling Kim, uh, I suffered quite a bit as a child yeah. and as an adult, not so much. But I would say to doctors, I feel like it's stress related, like the trigger, the same as Chantel yeah. said, it's not food that triggers me. It's extreme situations. It's fear. It's yeah. anxiety. Yeah. It, uh, you know, like, and I think about people who are living in um, domestic situations where there's yeah. violence or there's... Yeah. Um, or single parents. Or single parenting yeah. where you're just, or just a parent. On you a have lot. a child, like... Yeah. And wondering yeah. if, you know, you're seeing connections between those kind of factors and people with disease. That would be interesting to know too what the home life of someone who suddenly is diagnosed with especially autoimmune yeah. as well yeah and that's yeah. you know we're actually looking at some of that we have some ideas in my research group uh, at queens um to to look at some of those things i mean we've got a couple of things immediately on our horizon right but those are where we're going I, you know i think a focus from my work now has to be on younger patients, newer mm -hmm. to their, you know, newly uh, diagnosed yeah. career, uh, you know, uh, disease, if you want to call it that. And um, I think that's, that's been really keeping me up at night. It's like, I, I need to get there now. Yeah. Because we've been working primarily with adults. How, many, been, how many kids uh, do you think are going to be hearing about um, how much long we have, how much longer we have before the climate oh, <laughs> can't be, you know, you know can't like, be fixed, can't be changed, yeah. and developing stress in this, Absolutely. you know, like social media in general, being social a teacher of grade seven and eight students, <laughs> my gosh, the world, I'm like, guys, so just get on it. turn it all off, turn <laughs> it off, yeah. like, you know, this is not good for you. We're, <laughs> we're working on it ever, right now. This, this, this meeting is actually, I had a conversation about 25 minutes before I came here. And I'm talking to uh, a couple of pediatric groups that are interested. And so I think, you know, that'll be a, a shift in focus from my group. But I think, again, it's like, I don't know, I just kind of go through life and trajectories bounce back and forth. And yeah, yeah. I just seems that this is where I'm being pulled. So. Right. We're gonna we're gonna do that. I guarantee you. That's so, um, Kim, as a as a patient, what, you know, talk to us about your perspective on and mental health. You know, if you're comfortable, like you have, you obviously you have IBD. That's I do. why you're yeah. here and you're involved. Yeah. And um, I'm assuming mental health has been something that you've 
struggled with. It's been a personal struggle and actually yeah. everything that you're it's saying. Resonating. Yes, it's absolutely resonating. No, no, it's, it's like, yes. hallelujah, that is <laughs> yeah. me. Yeah. You are describing everything I'm yes. going yes. through. And, yes. <laughs> you know, now I can put terms to it. And Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, so tell us about your journey. My biggest part of it was the social aspects of... Um, can I go out tonight? What uh -huh. does it look like if I can't go out and now I'm declining yet another invite? Um, the food like how comes that in with relationships. Um, the anxiety on um, are they going to be mad at me that I'm right. still not going out again? Um, it anxiety is huge for me, yeah. including food. So it hasn't necessarily been food has been a trigger for my flares. It's been the anxiety of food. So. Um, if I eat, if I eat this, what will happen? Right. What foods do I need to avoid? And then bringing in the social aspect of if I'm going to go out with people, what am I going to be eating? Um, uh -huh. Can I eat? Can I enjoy, say, even something like Christmas dinner with the family? Or oh am goodness, I going to be eating broth in the corner, right? Um, is, it, <laughs> is it worth it? Are is there, it worth it? Where yeah. are the bathrooms? Who's going to? Absolutely. What's the recovery like for me yeah. after I come home? Am I going to be exhausted for two days straight. I know you're a mom. A, a mom, mom of three. Yes, I'm mom of three. So yes. that has to... It's very busy. Yeah. Um, keeping up with them. They have an active, active social life. So driving them here and everywhere and, and, then we're and trying to... And your disease and mental health is going to impact your ability to be a mom. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. there were some really low, heavy times for me. Um, I also have an ostomy. So um, when it got that bad and it was really severe... Uh, the, that you needed the to Crohn's progression. Now, right. all my medical options had been explored and failed, and surgery was the next thing, and that that was my lowest heavy point of depression. And at that time, I had one daughter at home who uh, was about five, six. She's very busy, just starting school. I had to get her there. Uh, it was a really heavy moment. Um, I would I I've, I have not had surgery at least as of yet. I would assume um, the feeling there would be um, like this is it like it's taken over. I, I've I've tried everything. I've done all, everything. It and seemed pretty absolutely. This is the end. Right. Of, this is what I'm going to be stuck with. Um, at the time, it was described to me as a possibility for reversal. So there was that excitement. Mm. Um, about the hope. The hope, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, the hopelessness was gone, and now I have this idea that maybe it's not. Maybe it's temporary. Maybe it's not forever. Um, then once you get over that hurdle and you kind of see, okay, this is my new version of normal right. with an ostomy. And it's kind of okay. It's different. It's okay. Um, the anxiety has changed from how how do I find a bathroom, where are the bathrooms, uh, the urgency to go to the bathroom when I'm out in public, bringing a change of clothes in case I don't make it to the bathroom. Now it's if you have an accident. Now it's different. Yeah. It's um, more to do with the logistics of the ostomy. So taking, having a leak, having like, a leak. Right. Yes. That kind of stuff. Um, food becomes the anxiety of, can I eat that? Because it might cause a blockage, which then can cause pain, which then could maybe amount to a rupture of my bowel. Um, right. So it's just changed the anxiety, but the anxiety has never actually left. The so depression has left. The flavor but, of anxiety. Yeah. Absolutely. Going what about anxiety. like, Self, like body issues, do you feel personally that that has been something you've... That was one of the factors in, okay, so I have a, an ostomy now. Prior to having the ostomy, that was a big concern of mine. Are they going to be able to see it? Right. Um, am smell I going to smell? Yeah. 
And so for me, I've had Crohn's um, for about 25 years. So I was diagnosed when I was 12. And looking back, I'm kind of thankful that if I was going to have an ostomy, I'm at least thankful that I had it as when I was married as an adult with one child as opposed to through the dating scene. Because oh, yeah. dating with IBD was enough. <laughs> that was right. enough. Worry. <laughs> dating with IBD and an ostomy would, I, I can't imagine what. There Shout are. out to our hostage warriors yeah, who are doing that. Yeah. Well yes. done. Yes, absolutely. So I'm assuming your 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 social network has been supportive of you. And you've had two children since ostomy. Yes. So this is also a positive thing for people to hear. Yes. Um, that that is possible it, and that still happens and that's okay. Yes. So my first, my, well, my second pregnancy, but first one with an ostomy, um, didn't go so smoothly. So um, my large bowel was quite inflamed and the baby was sitting kind of oh, pushing on right. it, caused a lot of pain. So I spent the majority of the time in hospital. That was a really low period. Um, thinking about how am I gonna get through this? Is everything gonna be okay? You're on high doses of all these medications. They're sending you for MRIs and you're thinking, you know, how is my baby gonna come out looking, yeah. right? Right, right. Yeah. Um, is there a risk that I'm doing? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, the second uh, pregnancy that I had was kind of, Kind of a surprise, and uh, <laughs> guess what? <laughs> doing it We're again. doing it again. <laughs> and that worrying and anxiety came back. The what ifs that uh, Dr. Tripp talked about of what if I have another pregnancy like that? I cannot right. go through that. It was completely different, though. It was like Smooth night sailing. and day. It was easy breezy. Got through it without any problems. Um, Did that help your mental health? Do you, do you, did you have even the slightest sigh of relief as that was occurring? Or do you think you needed to wait until you were outside looking back? Absolutely, waiting until right. I got to the end. Because <laughs> <laughs> the whole time you were probably just like, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? Tiptoeing right. around, when is this going to happen? When is the pain going to start? Um, and then, so I did get through it. And then about six weeks after that, uh, my large bowel perforated. It kept dilating perforated and now I'm having to manage a 12-year-old, a 4-year-old, and a six-week-old baby. OMG, oh, you have a six-week-old yeah. right now? No, not right now, but that oh, was a year at ago. At the time. Was that was at the time. Yeah, six weeks like, after that pregnancy. Woman, how are you still standing? No. But <laughs> I just want to note that you refer to your second pregnancy with the ostomy as easy breezy. That's the IBD patient's version of IBD, of easy breezy. Tiptoeing around, <laughs> waiting for the pain yeah. to start. When Easy breezy. Yeah. Easy breezy. <laughs> you know, I think that just comes with um, par for the course. Yeah. Just learning it and. Does. Yeah. So you've got these three kitties at home, and now you are struggling physically with disease issue. Mm-hmm. So, what did you do? I had lots of help. So right. my parents have, you know, they've been with me since I was diagnosed when I was twelve. They live a block away. They right. are so helpful. My husband's so helpful. It's getting me very emotional. Oh, thank feelings you. Of... Supporters. <laughs> yes, absolutely. You. Um, and you know what? Even Imagine Network has just been great as far as they have given me this group of IBD warrior friends that... A comfort blanket. Yeah. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they know what I'm going through. Yeah. Um, they've been there. We can talk about everything. Poop, ostomy. <laughs> Talking about shit. 
This yeah. is what we're doing. Let's talk shit. <laughs> so tell us how you're involved with Imagine then, because that's obviously, you, you know, you just mentioned it. So so I'm a patient research partner, and um, they also have me going through the PACER course. I'm a PACER intern. Because you're from the West, which is, PACER's oh, in Calgary? I Yeah, PACER's in Calgary, but yeah. I'm in Winnipeg. Okay. And so it's a distance ed program. So okay. there's four of us nationally who um, are taking a course to learn how to do qualitative research and interview other patients to basically flesh out what's exciting and important to them and their values and what they want to learn about themselves with IBD uh, and then go talk to other patients with IBD and kind of get the answers out there for them. Um, so it's peer-to-peer -peer research so it's I feel it's kind of different the talking to someone with IBD I feel like I'm going to give them different information or maybe just more robust information right. than perhaps I would on a questionnaire or survey or yeah yeah, yeah. sure well Dr. Tripp you actually mentioned too just peer support this the comfort the strength that comes from peer support and I'm a personal advocate it wasn't until I started meeting others like myself and hearing other stories and sharing my story that my mental health started to take a more positive turn I still have my negative and my dark moments but it's even doing this podcast like I I leave with this like natural high you know yeah. and, and I and well, it just, knowledge is power too yeah. you know and talk yeah. and connecting with people who are all sort of invested in the same outcome is it's inspirational you know yeah. and it does make you if I the expression that's coming to mind is an, is a negative one <laughs> but if I'm to flip it um, like there's strength in numbers. Like I was going to yeah. say misery loves company, but it's not that. It's yeah. like sh sharing your burden yeah. with someone. Right. I think the whole thing, you're not living in isolation. You're That's not it. Alone. Misery loves suppression. Yeah. And when you find at that point that you're alone on the island, you know, that's the, that's the point what I would suggest to people to say, I need another person here. Yes. Yeah, and I yeah. love that you said Reach misery out. loves suppression. That is actually, yeah, that's it, really true because yeah. we try, we act strong yes. to show that, you know, we're to okay. counter that we're not. Yeah. It's a lot easier to say to somebody when they ask you how you're feeling, it's a lot easier to say that you're fine. Great. Than it is to say, well, actually, yep. pull up a chair. <laughs> like, you know? And for a variety of reasons, like you just said. So I, I think it's, and again, everyone will have a different way of coping. Absolutely. Some people are more sensitive to those messages. And, you know, as, as we heard earlier, sometimes it's about a social engagement. You don't want to let people down. I was listening. Right. right? You don't yes. want to, you don't yeah. want. Especially if it's a repeated offense that you do. Yeah, I was like, thinking that when you said And then they stop you inviting go. you repeated, and you're like, damn it. You said repeated <laughs> offense. I use a yeah. negative term. You think what I'm saying? Yeah. No, that's okay. Because that's how it's conceptualized, right? Yeah. So if you think it's offensive, right? Like I know a young woman who is a good friend of my daughter who has an ostomy. Right. And we're, we're out the other day and we have food. And she goes, oh, I farted. Bless her. Right? Yes, girl. Yes, girl. And, and it's like, and she's the best. Like, and, and she's just, she has a way, uh, you know, I don't want to say who she is in case she doesn't want to be mentioned, but she has a way of just being, you know, uh, herself. And she's a young woman. And, and yeah. it, it, she's, uh, oh, that's she's so comforting great. to me. Yeah. And so, <sighs> but again, not everyone has that comfort and she might yeah. have that comfort in certain situations with certain people. That's right. 
but there might be other situations where that threat of disappointing somebody else is is heavy. And we, we need to think yeah. about that. And I, I just want to say, like, Kimberly, what you're doing is so amazing. Yeah, that to you're share. taking yeah. your pain and sharing it with people. Because mm -hmm. when I think about now that I have, we're both parents, now that I have a 12-year-old daughter, I can see um, the benefit of presenting positive solutions to her instead of letting her live in her social discomfort or her... You know, what, negative personal thought, trauma, yeah. negative thoughts by presenting a, um, a positive spin on things or showing her that she can manage right. a stress level. It just seems to have a like it, it snowball effect. She That's can look at other situations. Bingo. Yes. You're modeling a way yeah, to kind to of. Model. Manage. As a teacher, that's the first thing they teach You're us modeling. in teacher's college. You have you have to model for your students mm -hmm. how they learn. You, yeah. you have to model how to learn. You have to model how you have to model. Yep. You know, yep. you have to show them. Either their way, you're going to model. Survival looks like. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Whether so, it's so intentional be, or not, you're going to model something. Be aware of the model you're putting out there. Try your best. And self-talk. You know, our school's very focused on mental health. Um, it's an initiative I've kind of also focused on at the school. It's also um, the self-talk, modeling self-talk. And what, you know, if I make a mistake or spell something wrong, it's a, con I just say, oh, am I going to spell this wrong? I'm like, okay, we're going to have to, let's use it. It's, it's making, it's making kids okay with even criticism. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. they're not okay with those things. Well, I come from an improv background. I uh, am a second city person and I teach improv and I teach improv to people who have anxiety issues and uh, at, like all different levels. And our main thing is being comfortable with failure. Because once you accept that 75% of improvising is not funny, <laughs> not working, then it really frees you to be like, okay, well, this is probably going to be not funny, but I'm going to do it anyway because it's fun to do, you know? Yeah. That's and that's the that's discovery true. process. That's exactly it. Like, so, you know, get to the stoplight, the light turns red, and you come up and you just missed it. I say to my son every time, oh, we're first. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like, you know, find something. Yeah. To kind of be yeah. So Kim, for you, has, you know, one of the most, has the most frustrating thing for you been surrounding mental health in IBD in Absolutely. your journey? Yes. Yeah. The stress, okay. the anxiety, the trying to find a way to put the wellness first. Um, so I'm not just focused on how sick I am, trying to come up with ways and strategies to think about how, well how am I actually doing as far as how well I am? What do I still have? I'm still able to walk. I'm still able to talk. Right. I'm still able to think. All these good things. My colon and intestines are awful, but everything else is, right. you know, it right. could be a lot worse. So um, I will speak honestly and say that, you know, I've shared in this episode that my journey with my diagnosis and stuff didn't involve mental health at the beginning. Um, do you think that there's, do you feel the same? Like, do you feel like your journey with IBD didn't involve the interception of mental health right away? Absolutely. Because I started at 12 and right. that was a very long time ago as far as where like IBD is. Where, yeah. yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> no, as far as where IBD uh, research is now and what, what they have available now, it just wasn't there back then. I don't know that I was focused on anything at 12. I think I was a little naive and just, all right. Might have been your parents who were taking the focus of... They absolutely were. Yeah. They had that brunt. And now looking back, I feel like I'm... I kind of even try to shelter it 
from them now, so I'm not a burden. Same. Yeah. And, and my parents live in the East Coast, so they, they can't see me. Good. So when I don't look well, I can just be like, it's okay. Yes. And my husband knows that if he tells them, he gets no dinner. So, so this, we, we're in this together, you know? And then, of course, they'll FaceTime me or Skype me, and then it's like, shit. You know, I can't hide anything. And I'm, I'm big on social media about posting my journey yeah. um, with IBD. And thank God they don't have social media. But my brother has just recently moved to Newfoundland. Mm. And he seems, he's just, what, did you see this, Ma? And I'm, we need to have a talk. <laughs> like, this is not okay. <laughs> but I, it is because I'm terrified that they'll worry, mm -hmm. which they will. They're parents and they love me. That's their, their job. job. That's their job. They're going yes. to worry. Isn't that yes. interesting though? Like I keep going back to this, this mental, this psych ache that we're, mm -hmm. and I know this is not the clinical definition of psychic, but I keep mm -hmm. thinking about this pile of stressors, right? So the Coming IBD patient, yeah, the ID, IBD patient is dealing with changing personal circumstances, physical pain, uh, that um, social perception of the disease, mm -hmm. the the de desire not to burden anyone, and then the flip side of that, which is almost creating a uh, fake life, so that it's you like don't. It's, a, it's let another. People Another personality. Use, yeah. yeah. So that you don't, you, the, the healthy person who lives here, so that you yeah. don't hurt your family or your, you know, I've often done that. Cause undue stress. I have a lot of people in my life, not so much now, but previously who had no idea I was ill. There's the people who know that I am ill, and then there were the people who wouldn't have a clue. And I've had that with friends that I went to school with when I was 12, and then you graduate, you have that time period where you don't see them anymore, and then you reconnect, and you do the what's new. And I mentioned that I had surgery, and she's asking what kind of surgery, and I tell her, and she had no idea that I was sick. Yeah. Actually, what came up was, oh, I thought you were anorexic because you were so skinny. I got so, that. Right. right. Yeah. My mental health journey didn't start until it was at its lowest with the depression with from the ostomy surgery. And that's that's kind of like what you were saying. That's almost like we need to avoid that. Mm -hmm. We need to avoid getting to the I think, lowest. I think there is this idea in my head that I think is pretty simple. I think it makes sense that if we have information that this is an outcome that happens and it's not infrequent. Prevent it. Prevent it. Yes. Like, and we're not good at that. Human beings are not good at being preventative. You know, preventative. No, we like to learn you know. the hard way. Yeah. We, we're not, yeah. you know, that's why governments keep rolling back and forth and they have a very short-sighted vision on, you know, mentioned yeah. climate, yeah. on these types of issues because we're not real good at saying, okay, I'm going to commit to this thing to and make this, yeah. yeah. So that, yeah. Uh, that's a normal part of the experience. But again, the point that I really love is this concept of the burden. And I love how you're talking about it. And I would just say to people, you know, you'd be surprised how when you reach out to someone sometimes at the right point at the right moment how good it actually feels yeah. as scary as it is as as distressing as it can be mm. when you have that interaction you just feel this flush this i've actually oh, yeah. i've had some of the people who i reached i'm so fortunate i have probably like yourself you've mentioned i have an, i have an amazing village in my corner of people who i hardly know mm -hmm. but who are there for me through thick and thin, the people who I love the most, who are there for me through, and so understanding. And I've actually had some of them say to me that they have found purpose and comfort in helping me when I've reached out to them. 
And I've been like, oh my God, so I'm not a burden? Like, so can I tell you something else? <laughs> like, this is stressing me out too. <laughs> but if you reverse that and someone yeah. came to you with yeah. a problem, I feel exactly. the same. But would you see them as a burden? You no. probably wouldn't, right? And that's so why they, do we you put know, that on ourselves? Exactly. My husband says that to me all the time. Like, you know, when he, you know, the man's sick. Sorry, Dr. Tripp. That's okay. But there, it's a real thing, I feel, at least with my husband anyways. Man sick, like you just have a cold, damn it. Get yeah, over it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, you know, I take care of the poor thing, you know? And Colds, I do. Colds, I'm going to go on record, are difficult. <laughs> I'm just going to go on record saying that. And it's, you know, and I, it, you feel good when you help others. Yes. You know? Yes, yes you do. So and, before... And, but this is normal. This is like a yeah. normal psychological experience, and we are... If I had a nickel for every person I've talked to in my life and so said, would you, yeah, would you not do that for that person? Yeah. And yeah. it's that perspective we don't take when we're on the island. Right. And yeah. I think that's a beautiful way to say it. You know, would you do that for that person? Absolutely. Like not even a question. Well, then yeah. be fair to yourself yeah. Yeah. and do it for yourself. Yeah. Be fair. So before we end here, just is there, do you have, is there, so we have Dr. Tripp is on um, Twitter and Instagram, and we'll get the specific handle a little later. Is there any other websites or anything that you think they should be, that you want to put out there? If, if anyone wants to reach out to me, just Google me and I pop up. There's an email. There's yeah, my doctors are cleans. very Googleable. I'm Googleable. Yeah, I think um, you might get Googled by me a lot. I think, I'm, <laughs> I think we might talk a lot. You could actually just yeah. text me. I'll give you <laughs> I'll, my number. Okay, That's, right. like, Thanks. We, we can do Thank that. Thank you. We can do that. <laughs> so great. And Kim, what about questions. you? Is there any last messages that you want to share, you know, whether it's as a patient or as a patient involved in Imagine? You know, or groups that people can reach out to, or I know in the West End, you know, out, out West, um, whether it be Winnipeg or Calgary or wherever, is there anything you want to share for our patients who are listening or for our professionals who are listening, a um, message they need to hear? Just for me, it's just giving back to the cause has really been um, that growth, the post-traumatic growth that you talked about. So finding whatever that is for yourself, either helping someone else get through IBD um, or participating in something like Imagine or a research project or a SPOR initiative, something like that really has been mind-changing for me Right. as far as um, maybe I can't see my purpose in this, but maybe that is the purpose, helping others. Right. You know, I, right. Ju- I just want to say to you that I think it's, I, I'm so grateful for you yes. for being part of this because, I mean, I put myself back in, my Crohn's wasn't clearly as progressed as yours seems to be, but I remember the pain level and I was selfish in my pain. I just wanted to go into a hole and manage myself. So the idea that you have three kids and you're committing this time and flying distances to be part (laughs) of these uh, conferences, I just thank you so much. I mean, I, I hope it's genuinely giving you back some peace of mind because yes. you deserve it. It absolutely you really do. Yeah, yes. it's great. Thank you for having me here no, today. Thank you both Dr. Tripp and Kim for being here. We yes. are so grateful for you and I'm, I've learned some. I'm emotional oh my on my own. But I, I have more <laughs> questions Yeah, I will yeah. Um, so on our Facebook page, we're going to post the links. And again, in previous episodes, we talked about the Imagine Spore mm-hmm. and, and the research that's going on there and how you can get involved um, as Kim is, for example, or as a participant in um, many different types of studies. You need to follow Dr. Tripp on Twitter so that we can get this knowledge out there. I just like to print things off and bring them to Dr. Silverberg when I go. Like, did you see this? Um, my GI is actually quite big on Twitter, so this is great. Um, just going to bring everybody together. I'm going to get 
get Twitter to figure out how to use it. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you. Um, listeners, you know what to do. Check us out on our Facebook page, um, Strength and Positive Thoughts. Until next time. Guts and Glory is produced by Bang Albino, Inc., a full-service creative agency. 